0: And uh, I tell you, it's wonderful to step up here with absolutely no need for an, a sermon introduction. And uh, and I, I I I think I speak for all men in the congregation at uh, one level or another that is grateful for um, Darren's testimony and can relate. In some fashion, I know I can in the work that God did in my own heart with my own family. Well, I see some brave souls that were here last week and came back for more. And uh, I think we'll be a little bit more concise. But, um, you know, I entered upon really what uh, um, is... uh, fighting off quite a bit. We're doing really an overview of the letter of Jude, and uh, we could certainly take a lot more time and dive a lot deeper into it, and perhaps the Lord will give me an opportunity in the future to do that. But uh, just as a matter of, of uh, somewhat brief intro- introduction, I do want to just give you an overview of some of the things we covered last week, Uh, Some of it was difficult. It it is a difficult letter. If if, uh, you go home and you read this uh, brief but intense letter, um, uh, it will challenge you. And uh, as I said last week, when I I first picked up the the original text from the very beginning, verse 3, and uh, beginning preachers, what do they go to? They go to the verses that are you know, most, most uh, impactful to them over the years, the things that really feel like they have preaching potential. And uh, uh, contend for the faith is one that's been with me a long time. It's, you know, and as a guy, it's, it's one of those uh, phrases that's uh, a challenge to action. So it's, um, it's, it's one of activity and involvement and engagement. You know, and, and uh, so as, a, as a, a, a a preaching text, it's a great text. And as I uh, uh, also shared, it was it, it it was one I picked up months and months and months ago. And uh, as time went on, it became for me um, an awareness that that this was more and more a a letter, not just a text, but a letter for the church. And so we're going we're gonna to proceed boldly. Uh, just as a matter of review, Jude begins with a greeting of himself, and he introduces himself as a servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. And if you're familiar with James and Jude, they are also half-brothers of Jesus. And yet... Uh, He does not call upon this for credibility or to establish himself, but he only establishes himself as a servant of Jesus Christ. And he acknowledges that he's writing to uh, his recipients, and for us, he defines us as the called, beloved, and kept. Jude is very eager to begin this letter stressing the security of the believers the believer in God's electing and preserving love and not only are we the recipients recipients of God's calling his love and being kept for Christ we are blessed to be the givers of mercy peace and love he begins the letter in two very distinct ways. First, he tells us, hey, I intended this and realized I couldn't. I had to go a different direction in the letter. It's really a very unique way of, of uh, starting a letter. You wonder why he even included that. Why not just jump right into the um, essential elements of, of uh, what was necessary in this letter. But he, he go, takes a little bit of time. And he points out that he had a, a a great desire to just, you know, write one of those letters that's that's just straightforward, flat out, encouraging. I am so excited about your faith. I am so excited what the Lord is doing in the church. And he begins that way, but then he says that he found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith. Contend means to struggle earnestly for. And when he says contend for the faith, we have to be careful, because he is not saying contend for my faith. He is not saying contend for your faith. He is not saying contend for our faith at GBC. It is the faith. It is the faith that is greater than our personal preferences, our congregational uh, polity, our denominational proclivities, cultural, ethnic, distinctives, and everything secondary to the gospel. It is the faith, and it is the faith that is... Shared by Darren's mom on the other side of the planet, as well as our neighbor down the street who proclaims Christ faithfully. And we're also needing to understand. That what we are called to contend with is that which is contending with us. This is not passive. And lastly, but not finally, we contend together for the faith. We do not do it as lone rangers, folks. We are told this battle is coming. It's always been coming. It's already here, and we have to meet it together. Well, with whom do we contend? Jude is actually rather vague in his, in his naming. He says, Four certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people. And then he spends a lot of time talking about behavior and actions, as opposed to stigmatizing individuals. And we're going to learn there's great value in that because his intention is not to destroy or tear down. His intention in the end is to give us tools of redemption and restoration. So why do we contend? I think one key verse that we can we can pull from what we talked about last week is the beginning of verse four, where he says, "We contend with those who prefer, pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and to and deny our only Lord and Master, Jesus Christ." So. What we have to understand, and and the word pervert, I know, can bring up a number of images in our mind, but the fundamental meaning of the word is simply to change. And though when we approach some of the challenges within the letter of Jude, we are looking for big dramatic swings. Most of the time, these things that change, that alter, the essential elements of the gospel start small and imperceptibly. And that's really at the heart of, I think, for the church to be contending. It, uh, it, it's in the small things. And we're going to talk about more about that. Well, Jude goes on to talking about Judgment, he just wants to remind people that, uh, that, that within this community of saved and unsaved, wheats and tares, to be careful, to be vigilant, to be aware, to test ourselves, the Bible says. And he points out three groups destined for judgment. The first one he says, this is in verses 5 through 7, He says, Jesus saved the people out of Egypt, yet later destroyed some. Fascinating to be saved from a history you're aware of of 400 years of persecution and oppression to witness miracles and acts of God beyond anything that had ever been experienced. And yet to be later destroyed in the desert because of... Unbelief and rebellion. Or two, verse six, he says, angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. These are angels who created by God, heavenly beings, who um, lived in the, the heavenly realm and and, and and seeing much of all that God accomplished throughout history, and yet it says they were unwilling to stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. And then finally, verse 7, Sodom and Gomorrah, which undoubtedly was originally an extremely blessed city, community, prosperous. I know we always think of Sodom and Gomorrah on like, you know, the last day. It's Good reason for it. But much led up to it, um, as it says that uh, they were judged because they eventually indulged in sexual immorality and they eventually pursued unnatural desire. But most certainly, uh, the, and we know this from archaeological evidence, that they were a very prosperous and uh, blessed community. And yet, in the end... All that blessing ended up in the most horrible of judgment. Well, Jude goes on to tell us the nature of rebellion. He breaks it down into three ways. The way of Cain, Balaam's error, and Korah's rebellion. This is one of those challenging texts that if you're on your Bible reading plan and you get to this stage, Cain, Balaam, Korah, check, move on to Revelation, right? Right? But when we dive into it, there's a lot to learn there. The way of Cain, God spoke one on one with his early creation, and they knew his law. And Cain is an example of simple rejection of God's law and really an elevation of man's law. I know better. I know better. Balaam's error. It was a pursuit of flesh and lust over God. Simple enough. Korah's rebellion, a rejection of God, ordained authority both in uh, uh, Israel and uh, by example, authority in the church itself. These are things that Jude tells us To be aware of. Well, what can be the fruit of this? And I think everybody knows the answer that rejection of God's law, a um, pursuit of that which is unholy, does not produce good fruit. And he goes into verses 12 through 13 and on into 16. um, speaking of the fruit that, that flows from this kind of rebellion. And uh, uh, as you read through it, the, you know one of the things I encourage you to do is, is to not try and, and create, um, I can't think of the word, but it's that, is it a chimera? It's that uh, image of something that, 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 that like encompasses everything and you're going to end up with some, you know, Picasso kind of thing. It's like, what is that? I don't understand that. But um, that each one of these qualities, either in greater or lesser d- degree, can both be seen in those who uh, uh, Jude is talking about are ultimately purposely seeking the downfall or the destruction or uh, the... The valuing of the church, or are individual small displays of behavior that are misconstrued for doing what is good and right in the church. So I'd leave you to that, read through that. It's, it's, uh, it's very interesting reading, and, and we did spend some time in that last week. Um, and then finishing in verses 14 and 15, uh, Jude touches on the promises and prophecies of God's judgment, which is kind of an interesting way to end. In some ways, it's very much a challenge to us, and in, in other ways, it's very much of an encouragement. And I say encouragement, not necessarily because he's, he's talking about ultimate judgment, but because it is a declaration, it is a confirmation that in all of this, in all of these challenges, God is in control. God is sovereign. And he will accomplish, as Isaiah 46.10 says, he will accomplish all he purposes. And we can trust him. Well, from there, we're going to go on to today. And uh, it is really what I would say a call to per- persevere for the church by contending for the faith. And let me, uh, let me read our last, last bit of text in Jude, 17 to the end. If you want to join us, join me. Great thing about a little letter like Jude, you open it up, and you don't have to, have to turn a page. Okay, beginning in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers. Following their own ungodly passions, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, loved. Building yourselves up in your most holy faith, And praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless. Before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now and forever. Amen. What a glorious text. I just... So, Jude calls us to persevere, and he begins in verse 17, again, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, again, if you were here last week, and, uh, and, 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 and we worked through that text, um, you, you know, you wonder, is Jude on his own on this? Uh, is, he, is he chicken a little, little bit? Is he overreacting? But he reminds us right off the bat that this is actually a warning and a message that is virtually throughout the New Testament, in, in virtually every, almost every letter, and certainly by all the most prominent writers of the New Testament. They say those who do not learn from history are contem- condemned to repeat its mistakes. Well we are given a lot of history. We are given uh, a lot of warnings. And we are being prepared. Praise the Lord. So, starting with Peter... In his second letter, uh, first, verse two I'm sorry, chapter two, verse one, he says, "But false prof- prophets also rose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought, who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift, swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. He says again in chapter 3, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets in the commandment of the Lord and Savior through the apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. The apostle Paul, in speaking to Uh, giving instruction to Timothy, says in 1 Timothy 4, Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving, by those who believe and know the truth. And again in chapter three of 2 Timothy. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. And again in chapter 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. And not to leave out the call to elders and overseers, Paul speaking to And John, in his first letter, children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are, that they all are not of us. Well, why all the warnings? Why all the predictions? I think there's several reasons. One is simply so that we won't be surprised. You've heard the term ignorance is blessed. Not so much. Wrong expectations produce bad responses. Two, we're warned, so we will prepare. Knowledge of an impending trial or challenge is a powerful motivator to be prepared for it. I remember, in fact, I think it's the only thing I actually remember from my days in the Marine Corps, drill sergeant told me, I've never been afraid of anything I wasn't prepared for. And I thought, that kind of makes sense. God wants us to be prepared for what he knows, knows is coming. Third, so we will not flee from the flock. The frightened don't know who to trust and simply free, flee from all. The lone sheep is on dangerous ground. And I'm sure you're, you, you remember this verse from 1 Peter chapter 5 be sober minded. This one really used to scare me when I was a young believer. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And third, the flock is weakened and hurt by the loss of just one sheep. I'm always shocked and saddened by how little effect some feel they're leaving will have an effect on the body. and how little thought they give to it. Unless you have been able to maintain the minimalist of relationships and impact, your absence will be painfully felt, I promise you. And we'll have reverberations throughout the ministry for years to come. I plead with you. Do not break fellowship without going to your brother. Do not flee without sitting down with those who are called to watch over your soul. And finally, so we avoid division and those who who cause it. um, Verse 18 says, They said to you in the last time there will be scoffers. Following their own ungodly passions. Well, folks, the reality in an environment where everyone's pursuit is Godward, there is no division. It's, it's really straightforward. Where you see ungodly pursuit, and I define ungodly pursuit as where God is not the direction of the, the primary direction of the heart. There you will find division. That, that is where you will always find division. It is where it is, it is the conflict of what I want and what God wants. He goes on, verse 19, it is these who cause divisions. Worldly people devoid of the spirit. Couple of verses that I think define it well. Uh, worldly people. Second Timothy three seven says, "Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth." These are. Th- this is the example of the ultimate pragmatist, that uh, that leans upon his his own worldly experience, credential, skill set. And yet, the clear, plain, miraculous declarations of the Word of God remain suspect and secondary. Second, devoid of the Spirit. Second Timothy 3:5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. There is, and one of the things we mentioned last week that easily reads into the text is that oftentimes um, the individual uh, disruptive, most likely unsaved, uh, isn't identified until way down the line, which is interesting in that they must know to remain somewhat um, hidden, at least for a period of time. And one thing that I think we all can do well and evaluate evaluate ourselves upon is uh, the ease with which we pretend. And that's a message for all of us. We can pretend godliness very, very well to... Live in a way that declares God's power and and is demonstrated in our personal submission to that power is a life that testifies to the reality of the spirit working in that individual's life and governing that individual's life. Well, from here, Jude is going to take a big break. Um... And return to the concept of uh, contending. Verse 3 is our call, to, or if verse 3 is our call to contend for the faith, then the phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God, is our roadmap to accomplishing it. If we want to contend for the faith, we have to learn how to keep ourselves it's verse 21, perhaps no better place to start than Jesus on the night that he was betrayed. What a moment of contending for the faith. Think about it. Jesus contending for the faith the night that he was betrayed. In chapter 14, starting with verse 15, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 21 Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 23 Jesus answered him If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Verse 24. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. The word kept, keeping, keep, runs throughout this letter. It's actually pivotal through most of the themes of the letter. And in verse 3, again, he's beginning the letter with the word kept, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you, I'm sorry, verse 2, no, verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Paul tells us, Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that, we may bear fruit for God. In Romans 6, 4, he says, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We We are kept not for ourselves. We are kept for Christ. We are kept for the gospel. Verse 24, Jude goes on, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And this, I I just love that Jude's reading of verse three and kept for Jesus Christ is now bracketed in verse 24 in his great doxology, now to him who is able to keep you. Again, stressing God's unmoving, faithful, saving grace. Well, in verse 6, it's a little bit of a different twist on the word keep. It says, And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, or you could say, who did not keep within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So what does it look like, we have to ask ourselves, when we do not stay or keep within our position of authority? Well, first we become hostile to God. Romans 8, 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Okay, I can see the hostility part. I'm not sure I see the keeping within an authority. We continue on, it says, For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So what Paul is telling us is that, is that when, we, when we first submit ourselves to our mind and the flesh, that it, it, it is that that leads us to rejecting the authority of God. We will only have one master. And that brings fruit of hostility to God in the tension that that creates. Well, number two, what does it look like when we do not stay or keep within our own position of authority? Joyless, oppressive, ultimately a fruitless relationship with those with biblical charge to keep watch over our souls. Hebrews 13.7 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Folks, the sad thing is, is that we pervert or we change our own calling and gifting, nullifying our place in the body of Christ. And note this when we will not keep within our position of authority, we not only damage and destroy the ministry of biblical leadership within the church, we pervert our own calling and gifting within the body of Christ. And that is what the devil calls win win. If you'll indulge me with some personal observations uh, regarding difficulties of the past. This is for free, as they say. My observations, my observations. Self-proclaimed elders of all genders arose apart from any biblical authority process. They demanded a following, which created division. They demanded authority, which was rebellion. And they demanded their direction, which was chaos. Everything was affected. Ministries found themselves without volunteers. Grace was almost non-existent. Legalism, judgmentalism, and cynicism flourished the flow of biblical, godly expressions of Christian love and service slowed to a trickle. Folks, the stakes are high. This letter of Jude is serious and it has every, every bit the relevance to the church in 2019 slash 2020 as it did 2,000 years ago. And praise God, Jude does not leave us there. Verses 20 to 23, how to contend for the faith. He gives us a roadmap. He gives us an instruction manual. He begins, build yourselves up. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life is it any surprise that we begin doing so with the very elemental building blocks of our faith fill yourself with the word of god fill yourself with truth second timothy 3:16 through 17 says that the man of god may be complete equipped for every good work all scripture is breathed out by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness This is one of those verses that we know very well, and in the context of Jude, it takes on an even more profound and important purpose. Reading our Bibles is not a throwaway. Oh my gosh. It's a necessity. Goes on, praying in the Holy Spirit, always maintaining your dependence on God and his power. Ephesians 6.18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And then he concludes, Wait, waiting patiently, faithfully, hopefully, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And hear me on this. The individual who does not flee from authority or fear, who fills and equips themselves with the word of God, depends and trusts in the power of the Holy Spirit through prayer, and rests daily upon our eternal hope, the mercy and love of God through Jesus Christ, our Savior, yet to to appear. That individual is equipped to contend for the faith. He is not only equipped to contend for the faith. He is is equipped to redeem and save. Verse 22 and 23 says, And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. See, Jude is bringing us around full circle when at once and in in portions of the text, we can struggle, we we can wonder where those that we love and believe in stand. And yet, Jude's letter is not only over a huge scope of uh, people and behavior and interactions, it is also intended, I believe, to cover a large scope of time. I can tell you that when I was in my 30s, if people that I worked with, you told I would be preaching a sermon, "You better be ready to be locked up." I am not kidding. That is the nuttiest thing I have ever heard. Michael Eastman. Pagan, Michael Eastman. God works because he is patient. You know, we read earlier the verse where uh, the scoffer was saying, hey, God never shows up, nothing changes. You know why? It appears that he doesn't show up because he is so patient. He is waiting for our repentance. Repentance. And God is dealing with our church through many facets and many seasons. And, um, and uh, uh, you know, again, if, if, if one of the messages that I, I hope you take home from this is quite simply this, do not flee. Do not be surprised. Do not be unsettled. All has been... Predicted. All has been shared in advance what has been, what will be, and most importantly, that God is in control. He is sovereign, and He and His saints will always persevere. Redeem and save. Jude goes on first, mercy on those who doubt. Was not God patient with us? Be patient on those who struggle in their faith. Snatching from the fire, we are called to respond to the worst 911s, guys. Sometimes it's very difficult, very inopportune, and requires great service. Mercy with fear. There are times we are going to get dirty. We will be affected by other sin. We are still called to contend for the faith and we do so trusting God and his power to sustain and protect us. Well, I think I'm going to save the uh, doxology for... um, after the Lord's Supper. So, but let me say this, that, that um, the letter of Jude is, as I said, is, it, it, is, it is a difficult letter in many ways. Um, it, is a, it is a hopeful letter in that um, we're not only given all the warnings and the clarification of expectations of what life in the church is going to be like. But we're given the tools to persevere and to contend well for the faith and bring glory to God. And that's, that's my prayer for Grace Bible Church and that our focus would be on the faith, not our faith, and that we would contend for the faith in the love of God while watching ourselves.